Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, May the 13th, 2022. It is currently 9.39 p.m. Central Time. Well, if I want to be exact, it's now 9.40 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, I was trying to decide what I was going to do this evening. I know it's 9.40 p.m., so that's probably not the the prime time for people tuning in for a live broadcast. Um, also, it's 9.40 p.m., and so I didn't want to go, you know, I didn't want this to go all the way out to like midnight. So I was I was looking for maybe something shorter that we could do this evening, like more of a, a devotional message or maybe just look at a, at a recent a news article. But I thought, you know what, even though I may not be able to take this as long as I typically would take a program, we can at least start something this evening and then finish it tomorrow or hopefully finish it tomorrow. Maybe we'll have to finish it on Sunday. It may take this evening, part of Saturday and part of Sunday to bring this, I guess we'll call this a mini series uh, to a hopefully a dramatic and profitable conclusion. But if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know how dramatic or how profitable the conclusion will be because I'm going into this pretty much blind, but that's that's the way I like to do this. And you probably know what I'm talking about. If you're a longtime listener, you know what I'm talking about, right? What do I like to go blind into? I like to go blind whenever we review any kind of audio, right? Uh, whenever we review a sermon or or anything like that, I don't like to listen to it first because if I listen to it first, then I'm listening and then I it's almost like I feel like I'm rehearsing my responses and I hate that. So whenever I have audio that we're going to review, I just cue it up and like, let's listen to it together in real time. Again, I try to create the feeling, I try to create the situation where it's like, you know, we're hanging out on a late Friday night. Like, so so what do you want to do? Well, let's listen to a sermon. Okay, you've got one? Oh, you've got one. Okay, well, let's let's cue it up. You ready? Okay, we, let's grab our Bibles. Let's grab a notebook. Let's listen to a sermon together. And we listen to it together. And see, because I don't know what's going to happen in it, it's not one of those situations where I'm trying to find a sermon that I just want to be critical of. It may be good. It may be bad. It may be a mixture We're just listening to it to see what we discover. Maybe I'll be critical. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll take what they're saying and go in a completely different direction. Who knows? Uh, If you're used to listening to a lot of sermons, you probably do something similar, right? You listen to it. You think about it. Maybe you pause. Maybe you talk to yourself about it. Maybe you grab your notebook, like I have a notebook right here, and you just start writing all kinds of notes. Maybe you like to listen to sermons with other people. And then you, you're pausing it and having discussions about it. I, I, I mean, I, I, I like this process. Some people love it. Some people don't. So if you don't, well, that's what this is going to be. This is going to be part one of a sermon review. Now, this is how this sermon review came about. This is how it came about. Um, we have a Discord channel uh, for Theology Central. And in the 
Discord channel. There are separate individual channels. So we have the Theology Central channel, but then there, there's separate channels. And one of those channels is called Podcast-Sermons. Podcast-Sermons. And this is where people can post whatever they're listening to, whatever, whether they agree with it, whatever, whether they disagree with it, whether they think it's good, whether they think it's bad, whether they think it's heresy, whether they think it's the greatest teaching in the world. I just want people to post what they are listening to. We can discuss, we can discuss it, but it really just gives people like, you know, I don't know what I want to listen to today. They can just go to the podcast sermons channel on Discord and go, oh, someone just posted that. Okay, I'll listen to it. Well, on, well, yesterday, so Thursday, May the 12th at 9.32 p.m., all right? So, so almost 24 hours ago, someone posted a message entitled, Compelled, Speaking and Living the Gospel. I have no idea what church this is. It appears that the speaker is Tim Mackey, M-A-C-K-I-E, Tim Mackey. The YouTube channel appears to be Tim Mackey Archives. And uh, I guess, is Tim Mackey a part of the Bible Project? I I don't know. I don't know anything about him. I don't know anything about the church he's preaching at. I, I don't know anything but um, as soon as I started listening, there was just something about his his style. Um, okay, good. Well, the the person who posted this is is currently listening live. I didn't know anybody would be listening at this hour, so that's awesome. And said, "I'm looking forward to this. Your ideas will be helpful. I don't know if they'll be helpful. Um, I, I just think. Well, I guess what intrigued me the most is I listen to a lot of things, and there's times. I, I've always been bothered by this, and and maybe maybe this doesn't bother you. Maybe maybe you don't even care. Maybe I'm getting ready to waste your time with this in our, in my introduction. But I'm I'm always fascinated when I start listening to something. Like uh, if I'm listening to Christian radio overnight, like uh, what? Let's see what Christian radio station. I, I posted it in the Discord channel. Uh, this uh, I think yeah, this afternoon. Where is it? Yes, Pilgrim Radio. I, th- I thought what that's thought it was, what it was. Pilgrim Radio. Um, I I listen to that a lot of times late at night when I'm going to sleep, and I always find it fascinating that I'll be sitting there, you know, and or laying there in the dark room, and uh, they'll they'll you know go from music to maybe scripture reading to a devotional thought to a sermon from some church. They 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 pull in sermons from a lot of different churches, and and sometimes. Now, this may not bother you, but it bothers me. The sermon will start, and sometimes it'll just be something about the preacher's voice or the preacher's their, their style or their delivery, and I'll, I'll catch myself getting ready to pick up my iPad and just switch to something else. And as soon as I feel myself reaching over there, I'll sometimes slap my hand and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to decide if you're going to listen to a sermon about God's word simply because your own personal preference in voice or delivery or style. And it always makes me feel somewhat bad because I should be more interested in the preaching of God's word 
not necessarily caught up on a very fleshly thing like style. Now, we're all going to have preferences. Look, look, some people hate my voice. Some people may like my voice. Some people hate my delivery. I get emails all the time. You're so overdramatic. It's it's fake. You're too theatrical. You need to you need to you need to bring it down some. And I and I'm like, well. You don't know me, so you don't know if it's real or if it's fake. How are you making that judgment? They don't like the way I approach it. They want me to be more like NPR. Welcome, everyone. This evening, we'll be reviewing a sermon. Um, it should be, and, and some people like that. Some people would hate that. Everyone has their preferences, but we sometimes, I think, we choose. I, I, I wonder how many times we we may neglect to hear good preaching simply because we don't like the style. We don't like the delivery. I wonder how many of us would be guilty of choosing maybe a a, a questionable church simply because we prefer the style, the delivery, versus maybe a good church where we don't like the style and we don't like the delivery. I mean, I wonder how, I mean, I think there's a lot of times I, I'm just curious how much of our listening to preaching, how much our flesh gets involved. We we, we approach it in a very fleshly way, and I, and I don't know. There's uh, I won't mention it right now, but I, I posted it in the um, I posted it in the Discord channel um, about this series of messages that's currently on the Sermons 2.0 app. I think I I can't remember the name of it. Um, I mean, well, I don't, since I don't want to go into great detail, I, I won't mention the name. I know, I, I know the name right now. I just remembered it, but, um, there, I, there's just something about the style that I was like, huh, I don't really know about this. Right. But I wanted to post it to see if anybody else would say something, right? Nobody else said anything, but I was curious to like, if other people like, Whoa, I don't really, I don't know about this, but I'm like, so should I not listen because I, the style kind of irritates me? Or should I say, you know what? I'm going to listen for the for the deliver for 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 God's word and not the style. But in this particular case, I say all of that because in this particular case, I found myself as soon as the guy he kind of has a kind of a quirky kind of mannerism and and the way he talks, but there was just something about it that I was like, whoa, I want to keep listening. I, I want to keep listening, and I was like, okay, well that's interesting. Um, now, that doesn't mean the sermon's going to be good, but there was already something that just kind of made me like, oh, this is kind of cool. So I, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to stop and we'll listen to it together. But I do want you to just consider how many times I wonder how much your flesh may get in the way of receiving a message or rejecting a message simply because maybe you don't like the delivery style, the attitude. There's just something about the preacher you don't like. And because you don't, you, you, in a sense, miss out on the preaching of God's word. I, I think there's something about that that we, 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 we need to explore some, and, uh, and other probably podcast episodes. How much, how much does our flesh impact our receiving or rejecting of a sermon or of a Christian podcast? I think that's something to explore, and 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 this started making me think about it. But here we go. We're, we're just going to jump in. I'm not going to give you any any. I'm not going to really give you any background or information because I don't have any. Again, uh, this is called compelled speaking and living the gospel. Now, um, he's got a. I wouldn't call it a whiteboard. It's a clear, like a clear board, almost like glass, 
but he's going to he's going to uh, I guess write things on this board. Like it's, it would be like a whiteboard, but in this particular case, case it's clear. Now we're going to be listening to the audio, so I don't know if we're going to miss something of significance here. If we do, well, then we'll, hopefully it doesn't get lost in the translation from this is a video presentation that we are going to be listening to the audio from. I don't know if something's going to be lost there, but we will see. Um, we're just going to jump in and uh, we'll see how far we can make it this evening. We'll see how far we can make it. We'll at least get started and hopefully we'll benefit from it. Again, the goal here in reviewing audio, that's one of the reasons I don't listen. I know that there's programs out there and they seem to just, all they do is find bad sermons where they can just criticize. And I I used to be really into that. And then it started making me feel like all I do is criticize everyone's preaching, thinking that mine's great. And and, and there's a place to criticize questionable preaching. There is. But I would rather you question it not knowing that it's bad. But if you listen to it first, then you go back and play it. It just seems very, it just seems like it's a production. So I'm not criticizing those who do that. I'm just, I, I can't. It just, it just seems like the wrong attitude. But when I do uh, listen to something live and I feel it's bad, I will criticize it because I think it's, it's perfectly okay to criticize the, the false doctrine or the, or the wrong hermeneutic or whatever the case may be. But I like just not knowing. So I don't know what we're going to get here. Um, and I, I don't really know. Uh, I think if I remember in the um, so somewhat uh, the person who posted this did put a couple of things under it to give me an impression there may be some problems with it, but we'll just wait and see. We'll just wait and see. Here we go. I don't know when this was preached. I don't know the date. I don't know the year. I don't know the month. I don't know the place. I don't know anything. Well, I do think I know the state because I think he mentions the state in here, but We'll we'll just jump in. So here we go. Thinking caps on, notebooks open, Bibles open. Compelled, speaking and living the gospel, Tim Mackey, and then it has in parentheses the Bible project. So let's see what we discover. Yeah. Sweet. Hey hey everybody. <laughs> How are you guys? <laughs> um that guy. What about that guy? <clears throat> um it's unbelievable. Like, what? Have you ever seen something like that before? Yesterday, I asked him if he would um, go out in the cornfield with me and play one of the songs for me in the cornfield, and he didn't do that for me. So I'm saying it in front of all these people, Trace, so that one day my dream can come true. Wouldn't that be a great existential moment to hear that in a cornfield in Wisconsin? Anyway. uh, Um... Uh, hello, how you guys doing? It's good to uh, good to see you. Um, uh, there's probably a whole bunch of you that I uh, I don't know, and because um, I haven't been around here for years. Uh, so it appears to be a church in Wisconsin. Now I, I'm starting to think way back. It was a couple of years ago. We did a series called the Most Influential Churches in America. And we reviewed a sermon from each one. We need to get back to doing that. I've always got so many series. It was a lot of fun. But um, there was a, a church, I think, in Wisconsin that was on that my list of the top 50 most influential churches in the United States of America. Um, and uh, I just don't remember the name of it. So maybe this is that church. I don't remember. Here we go. 
So hello, my name is Tim. Uh, I, uh, let's see, my, my wife and I, uh, we moved here to your wonderful town, Madison, so I could go to graduate school back in 2003, and we were a part of Black Hawk for nine years, uh, and the last three years of that, I was one of the pastors here. I think they say, is it Black Hawk what they say? Let me see here. It's in Madison. Give me a, give me a second here. If I can look it up. Is it Black Hawk? Church Madison. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, Black Hawk Church. Uh, it's Wisconsin. I don't know if I have anything here about it. Maybe this is not it, uh, or maybe it was. Nothing. A lot of times when it's one of the like most influential, it'll just show up like, right there giving you like uh, the average uh, uh, attendance and give you a lot of information. But uh, it looks like that's, it's Black Hawk Church, Madison, Wisconsin. I'm assuming this is a situation where they probably have multiple campuses. Yeah, it looks like they have multiple campuses and that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, Black, yeah, Black Hawk, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. I think this was on my list as one of the most influential churches at that time when we were when we were working on this um if this is the church right here um yeah i'm almost positive i've been we we've we've reviewed this before um not from this person cuz this person i guess used to be there but yeah it looks like one of your typical big um how how would we describe this your just typical evangelical church I'm assuming possibly non-denominational um, evangelical church. It looks, if you go to the website, it just has all of the, the typical things you see when you go to a lot of these big evangelical churches. It just seems like they have the same company building their websites with the same, um, you know, with the same information. It says here, uh, I'm going to go here. Yeah, building a community to reach a community. Uh, we are a multicultural, multi-generational community of people desiring to be transformed by God. So this looks like your your basic evangelical uh, kind of a. I, I I don't like I don't want to necessarily say the word. Um, I don't want to immediately say a mega church, but it's got that. Let's say very large, possibly multi-campus. That's the words they typically use. Evangelical church, non-denominational, probably. That seems to be kind of where they are. This is one of those churches you probably look at the doctrinal statement. There's nothing that's going to just be glaring that maybe jump out at you. There's probably there's probably some things they say that's good. What I typically found in reviewing a lot of sermons from kind of these big evangelical churches, a lot of times it's not what is said is the problem. It's what will never be said or not what will never be dealt with. And a lot of times the preaching in many cases, it's like you can't, and sometimes it's frustrating because you'll listen and like, well, you can't just point out and go, that's heretical because it may not be, in many cases, it won't be necessarily something heretical. It'll just be like, well, but what was really there? What do they, what do they really do with that text? They, they, they seem to so, so skim the surface that it's just missing something. But then there are those cases where you're like, wait, what did they just say? I don't know if this is going to be one of those. Wait, what did they just say? But that that kind of gives us a little information about Black Hawk Church, 
what Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and uh, it looks like one of those kind of a larger multi-site churches. All right, here we go. And so I know lots of you, but there's probably lots of you who have been here in the last few years. And hi, I don't know you. I'm sure you're a really nice person. <laughs> uh, um, uh, three years ago, I moved back uh, to, uh, to my hometown, to Portland, Oregon. And um, I was supposed to move home and be close to family. But also there was a, a church that was just two years old at the time called Door of Hope. And I came on uh, the team of this kind of really young church. Uh, it's uh, right, everything we do is right in the heart of the city. And uh, actually, when I came on the team, I was just a second pastor. And we were meeting in a building that was two, two blocks from the house I grew up in. And it was a building that I had graffitied as a teenager. So, <laughs> I'm just joking. So it was just a lot of ironies there. And uh, so, uh, you know, the church is uh, turning six this year. And it's just been, man, such an amazing ride. And uh, we have a team of about six pastors now and a whole bunch of other people. And uh, we're just, we're trying to be a witness to Jesus in the heart of the city. And it's awesome. And I I can't uh, imagine being anywhere else. So it's really great. Uh, But it's super fun to come back here and to see so many people that I love and care about connected to this church community. So it's a total privilege to to get to be back here. Um, There you go. That's my little personal spiel. So there you go. Um, we're, uh, we, we, you, you, for the last, uh, I don't know, few weeks or so, in the next couple of months, you're in this teaching series, and I'm uh, coming and, and playing a, a part of that. You've been in this series uh, called what? Yeah, Compelled. So as I understand, I kind of followed online and caught up and talked to some of the other te- All right, a couple of things. Just my, my observation, typically in these kinds of churches— they always have their teaching series that seem to be somewhat planned out. They have the graphics people to create graphics. Sometimes they'll even have a video trailer or package promoting the next uh, teaching series. Typically, it's like you you can't miss this teaching series because this teaching ch- series is going to be transformative. It's going to be so powerful. Make sure you're here every week. And really, uh, the this one that we're listening to, I guess they were in the middle of a series called Compelled, right? And they, they even showed a graphic for it, right? the, the kind of the logo for it. So they've got a, they usually have a team putting these things together. And typically the way it's designed as, as I don't know, I, I think they've done like statistical study, but they, they've realized that you can't have super long series, right? Because people will lose focus and they will lose interest and you gotta, you gotta keep it going. You gotta keep it moving. So you have like a, Four weeks teaching series. I think maybe six weeks is usually like the max. And then you're like six weeks and we're going to focus on this. And then right when you get around to that four week or five week mark, you start promoting the next teaching series. And it's teaching series after teaching series that are moving quick. They've got to be packaged together. There's got to be, it's got to be some things that are very practical. And then you always hype it up like this is going to be the series that's going to revolutionize your life. I, I'm not a fan of that concept. I, I couldn't preach that way. I could not. I mean, if you, you know, I couldn't. I mean, anyone who listens to me know I could. I mean, well, because one week would turn into 17 weeks. Who knows? Um, I have a hard enough time doing it when we, we do the Bible study exercise just one week on one passage. I have a hard enough time pulling that off. Um, I, so I guess technically I could pull it off if I had to, uh, but with the, um, but I couldn't do it. 
it's one thing to do it for a podcast. I couldn't do it for my church, right? So, I, you know, I, I don't know. Eh, there, there's probably benefits from it. Like we've been working on the book of Romans at my church since 2019. We're in 2022. The average person hears that and, and they're just like, you, you, you would think that that would be attractive to a lot of people. A lot of people would be like, ugh, ugh. I'd just get boring. That would be a, the, like that. That's not very compelling to them. And I, I, I like there was a time I would be like, well, we're more spiritual than you. I, I can kind of understand why. I think people kind of lose their focus. And so I don't know. We, it's just a, an argument about methodology. We could have a long discussion about how it works. I just think that there's some, put it this way, there's some things that you cannot just, if you're going to, if you're going to go deep, Six-week series at a time is definitely prohibiting you from going deep. That's just a fact, right? That's just a fact. I mean, we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to commit ourselves to eight weeks in Matthew 24, and I think that by the time we're done, we're still have only scratched the surface. So, But that's the way it works, whatever you may think about. You, you may love that. You may hate that. Everyone can have different opinions there. Here we go. Teachers in the series, this is a series about how followers of Jesus shouldn't be un- undercover Christians. Right? And by undercover Christians, I mean like you are, you're working somewhere and then a year in you find out that someone else is, is a follower of Jesus too at your work. And you're like, yes, that's so awesome. And there's one sense in which, yes, that is awesome, but it's also not awesome that it took a year. You know? That's what I'm talking about, undercover Christians. And I'm, what I'm not talking about and what the series is not about is being like obnoxious, badgering Christians who yell at people or something like that. That's ridiculous, right? It's negative stereotypes. But what we're talking about is, is cultivating, cultivating something inside of us so that we, we talk about Jesus. And it's not weird. It's, just, it's because we, we love him and because he loves us. And if, if Jesus, the series, right, title, it comes from that famous statement of Paul, that it's the love that Jesus has shown us and that he, that, and that sustains us daily as his followers, that compels us to talk about him. And it's not weird. You guys, it's not weird to talk about something that you love. For example, one of, the, one of the first things, one of the first sermons I actually ever gave here at Blackhawk, um, I talked about Pasquale's nachos. Um, so today, I'm going to talk about Porqueno tacos, because I've found not just the rival, but the true defeater of Pasquale's nachos. <laughs> so, so one of the wonderful things about living in the city of Portland is food. It's just a big part of the culture and life of Portland is amazing food. And so I have the, the privilege of both working uh, close to and living close to both locations of the city's best tacos in the whole world. And it's at a, a restaurant that just has two. It's homegrown uh, pork called Porque No. Um, the, uh, the turquoise one is the one uh, by my house, and the pink one is the one by my office. All right, a couple of things. What he's when he's talking about the the different color of these taco places, he's showing uh, slides on their on their big screen. He's showing the places, and it shows these taco places, these little like small taco places. Uh, there, I guess, in Portland, Oregon, and uh, it's got a line of people going out uh, the door. Now, there's a part of you 
that you could look at and like, what in the world? What does this have to do with the gospel? What does this have to do with anything? This is just ridiculous. Some people would be super critical. But I thought what he does here is rather profound. Now, what may frustrate me is he starts off with this kind of rather profound kind of idea. And sometimes what I've noticed, and I've all preachers do this, sometimes you, you have this one idea and you maybe use it as your opening illustration, but it really is disconnected with your ultimate thesis in your sermon. Like, okay, I've like you, I want to share this. Oh, but here's my sermon. It, it can happen. Like it can be a, a Saturday night or a Friday night and you're prepared, working on your sermon. You're like, oh, this is really good. And you're like, and you almost find a way to, I'm going to, I'm going to shove it into my sermon. I'm going to shove it into my sermon. And then you realize that, man, I really gave two sermons. That was horrible preaching. I've done that a million times. Sometimes what I've realized, you know what? Even though I'm supposed to be on this today, nope, this captured me. This got my thinking. I'm just going to set aside the sermon and we're just going to talk about this. So that's one of the things I've, I've learned over time is realize sometimes, nope, I've got two sermons here and I've got to cut one of them out. I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but he starts with this kind of very, he, he's, he's, he's kind of using this illustration to talk about the, the sermon series, which is compelled, which it seems is based off 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. I'm going to just read it in the Bible that I have here next to me. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Now, it seems that He's at least taking the idea that we are compelled to talk about him. Now, we would have to try to look in that context, compelled to do what? But I do love this kind of analogy. Now, what he's going to do is he's saying that we should be compelled by the love of Christ because Christ loves us and we love him. We should be compelled. Now, I don't know if this verse fits this, that it uses the word compelled, but okay. But he takes this idea that we are compelled because God loves us, we love him, we should be compelled to tell others about Jesus because we find it easy to talk about the things we love. Now, to illustrate this, he wants to talk about something he loves, which is tacos. He loves tacos, and he loves these tacos in, in his, I think, Portland, Oregon. He absolutely loves them. Now, this is a brilliant, in my, my mind, illustration because people do talk about what they love. They do. And I know he's going to put forth the idea that as Christians, talking about Jesus should just be natural because that's what we love. We should find a way just to talk about it. It doesn't mean we have to be obnoxious and bother people and corner people and make people uncomfortable. It's just somehow our faith should show up in our conversation. Now, I think this is brilliant, and, and and what I'm hoping is it convicted a lot of people. But I don't know how many Christians are really convicted by this concept, but I, in my estimation, you can tell me if I'm wrong, and my, oh, not my estimation, my experience tells me this is just not true of the average Christian. And what I mean by not true, either they don't love Jesus or they are they're just very unique people who don't talk about the things they love. I'll just, I'll just and, and you're going to say maybe I'm being judgmental, I'm being legalistic, but I'm just going to explain my frustration throughout my Christian life. All right? So I become saved as a teenager, all right? 
And I end up in a, a Southern Baptist church. That's the church that God saved me in. And I, those churches, Baptist churches, are very popular uh, to, and in fact, I think just almost every kind of church does these things. They have fellowships, 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 and it always amounts to a bunch of people sitting around eating food, okay, talking about whatever. And I noticed that, okay, even if we just left a, left a sermon, right? So here we are, everyone just left hearing the word of God preached, but once we get to the potluck, the fellowship, the picnic, the ice cream social, whatever, in my estimation, foolishness, I don't think the church is ever called to be engaged in these activities. When Paul tells the, the, the believers at Corinth, don't you have homes to eat in? Go home and eat. You come to the word of God for the word, you come to the church for the word of God. But again, people would say that's legalistic, but I, I just it just drives me crazy. But what I would, note, would notice is that once you got to these quote-unquote potlucks, fellowships, whatever, the conversations almost never, ever, ever had anything to do with scripture, the word of God, what they were reading, doctrine, or even the sermon they just listened to. It always came down to, I don't know, the weather. I got a new truck. This is what's going on at my job. Oh, I went hunting last week and saw a, a deer and you no... Know, just it's just fo- football, sports, uh, kids. I don't know. Just everything. And I always sat there going, I have no uh, nothing in common with any of these people. Nothing, nothing in common with any of these people because I didn't. Because in me, to, to me, fellowship are the one thing. The only thing I have in common with Christians is Christ. Most Christians, I don't have anything in common with. I don't the things they talk. I don't. I don't. My hobbies are different than their hobbies. My likes are different than their likes. And that's perfectly okay. We don't have to like the same thing, but we have Christ in common. So here, if here's a group of Christians, I always thought was weird, who all love Christ and we're all compelled by that love. Why wouldn't the things of God be at least somewhat paramount in our conversation? Not, not in a legalistic way. It should just be natural, right? It should just be natural. But I'm, no, and, and sadly, I've said this so many times. Now, if there were men in the church who felt called to ministry, oh, you could always go find them and they'd be talking about some commentary, doctrine, or theology. That was always awesome. But if you didn't have any men who felt called to ministry, the average man in the church rarely was talking about anything related to God. So if, if in most cases, if I wanted to find someone having a conversation about the things of God, typically it'd be a woman, which you're like, wait a minute, so only women get excited about the things of God? But it's a great illustration, but I think it should be convicting. Why, why is it that so many Christians don't seem to have any, are compelled in any way, shape, or form to talk about the Bible or theology or a sermon or a Christian podcast? Or, and it's just kind of like, what? What, what what's the deal? He's trying to really illustrate this because he loves tacos. So it's naturally for him to talk about tacos. It's natural for me to talk about the things I love. Just the things I love are not the things anybody, most Christians love. My hobbies are different than everyone. And that's perfectly okay. We, we don't want, you know, a, a clones of each other. So my thing is, is our fellowship is Christ. Our fellowship is his word. So if we just listen to a sermon, why wouldn't we be discussing that? That, and again, I'm, I know that's maybe a little bit legalistic. I'm not trying to be. I'm not saying someone's salvation should be called into court. When I was a young Christian, I'd be like, "Well, the problem is, is nobody is saved in this stinking church." That was my attitude when I was a younger Christian. But it has always kind of bothered me. I'm like, 
does, does nobody want to talk about anything related to anything that matters? Like, come, come on, come on, come on. What'd you read last week? Come on, come, come on. What sermon did you hear last? Come on, anything. What did you think about the sermon? What'd you think? What'd you think about that text? Were you confused by that verse? Like, and, 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 and people just look at you like, uh, you're weird. Go away. You know? And you're like, okay, well, I'm sorry. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe the atheists next door and go hang out with them probably have better conversations. And again, I know that sounds very judgmental, but sometimes it's just weird. So he's, I love this. This is why I made it to this part of the sermon. And I was like, Oh, I love this. We should, it should be natural for us to talk about the things we love. Is it natural for you to talk about the things of God? Now I'm not saying we can never talk about anything else. I don't come on. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that just as Christians, it should just be natural. And sometimes it seems that some Christians have a hard time. It seems unnatural for them. They almost seem like they would prefer not to. And they're, I don't even quite know how to describe these tacos to you. They're just so amazing, right? They're so amazing, especially um, the shrimp. Have you guys ever had a shrimp taco, Cameron's taco? Dude, you haven't lived until maybe you have allergies or whatever i'm sorry for you <laughs> but uh so i mean I, I i really don't know how to do i've had tacos before i have never had tacos like uh you know there's no anglos working in the kitchen it's a family deal right and they they make this family makes the most amazing tacos and so you also notice something though that's a bit of a deterrent for many people about pork you know, what do you see in, in both pictures so the lines. Now here's what happens. There's many people in Portland, sad, sad people in Portland who have never eaten at Porcano. And it's because if you go by at lunchtime and if you go by at dinner time, there's always a line like that, certainly out the door, if not halfway down the block. And many people drive by that line and they're like, that's lame. You know, that's a hassle. I don't want uh, to, you know, to go, wait in the line or whatever. And, but I'm telling you, if you come to Portland, which you should, and if you eat at Pork and O, which you have to, right? if you come to Portland, the line, isn't, the, the line is part of the thing. Like it's part of the experience. It's the most fun line you've ever waited in. And they know that the lines are long, so they have servers who are dedicated to just working the lines. And so you get your you know, horchata, you get your drink or whatever as you're waiting in the line. People in Portland are super friendly when they're clothed which is most of the time, right? Not all of it, you can't take that for granted, but if they're clothed, they're usually very friendly. And so, you, uh, and so it's like, it's part of the deal. It's just part of the dinner experience. And you're, you know, they, they don't have spittoons, but they should because the, the smells work you over, they prepare you. The smells does, and all the saliva and so on in your mouth. So, <laughs> the spittoon. So, um, so I don't know. So here you go, you guys. I, I, yes, this is a sermon illustration, but I'm actually serious. <laughs> you, don't be stupid. Come to Portland and, and have Puerto Rico tacos. And I, I mean, I've become friends. You know, I eat there a lot, and I've become friends with them, and I'm on the verge of actually getting free tacos because of how much I talk, how I talk to people about them. So I might be fulfilling a pledge right now. Anyway, so <laughs> you need to come to Puerto Rico. Now, so, so let's just stop. Why am I talking about pork I know? I'm, I'm actually serious. I might be annoying you because you're hungry, right? But I'm, I'm actually completely serious. Like, I, I talk about these tacos a lot to people because they're so, and it's such a fun experience to go, and inside's amazing. Anyway, so, you, so I'm talking about something that I love, right? We get that, right? That's natural to us. 
And it, it might be slightly annoying if someone hates tacos or something, but for the most part, like, who doesn't like someone who's excited about something, you know? And so there's an overflow that just happens when you love something, you're compelled by it. But also notice something else that I had to do as well. And, and it's because I know that there's, the lines are a deterrent, and the lines foster all of these misunderstandings about Porque now by the population of Portland, right? About these long lines and they're a hassle and so on. So if I'm compelled by something and I love it, I will also care about clarifying misunderstandings, right? Or addressing distorted ideas that people have about the thing that I love. No, the lines aren't lame. They're a part of the experience. It's like the most fun. Now, there's a lot here to take apart. And, and again, I, I, I'm hoping this is connected to the sermon because it's just a very interesting way to get in there because anyone can relate to this. Now, we'll see where it goes. This could be kind of its own thought right here in and of itself. And a lot of people just may skip over this in the sermon, but this to me was the most compelling part because I was like, wow, there's a lot here. First, it's just, and this is just important in, in relationships. If someone loves something, they're really excited about something, right? And you're in a relationship with them. Give them the opportunity to talk about what they love. Give them, now it may not be something you're excited about. And so what we have sometimes a tendency to do is like, no, you know, you talk about what I'm excited about. And they're like, no, you talk about what I'm excited about. And well, then sometimes, no, there's there's nothing better than when someone it will show some interest in something that you love to talk about that you're just excited about. So that's, that's just good relationship technique is if someone's excited about something and you let them talk about it, they're probably going to be very grateful, even if they don't express that gratitude. And because I know I, when if, if there's things I love to talk about and someone will let me talk about it. I get excited. I got things I love to talk about. And yes, when you love something and you're excited about something, you love to talk about it and you will do that. If you think the person has a misunderstanding or a misconception about it, you'll want to correct it. You're like, no, 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 no. It's this. You want to fix that because you want them to love it too. You're hoping that maybe your excitement will rub off on them and they will learn to love what you love as much as you do. So I, so that this has very obviously direct crossover to our faith in Christ. One, are we that excited to talk about the things of God? Or, or, or you should probably ask yourself this. What do you find yourself just naturally wanting to talk about? You just love talking about it. Is it the things of God? And if it is, why do you think other Christians don't have that same excitement and desire? Not, not in a judgmental way where you sit there and go, I'm better than them. Just because we're more excited about it doesn't mean we're better. But we do, we should be concerned that some Christians don't seem to have that kind of joy or excitement to want to talk about the things of God, to want to talk about Scripture. What's missing? And sometimes I wish that those who don't have it could explain it to me. Like, like so why? Well, you know, I mean, it's not that I hate God, it's just... I don't get excited talking about the Bible. Like it would, I would, I would wish they could express it, but I think it's something we need to check ourselves and see, do we really have that desire? Because if we do, it's just going to, there's going to be no way to hold it back. It's going to come out in some way, shape or form, some way, shape or form, because it's just, 
it's, it's something we're passionate about. And you know that, you know people who get excited about whatever it is that they're excited about. You may go, oh no, here they go again. They're going to be talking about whatever it is, whatever it's going to be. You're like, oh boy, they've, they've talked about this a million times. And I know it can bother you, but and in some ways you should be like, man, they're really passionate about that. That's really, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And if you want to show any kind of love or or any kind of friendship or or a deeper relationship to that person, let them be able to express it because they they will be they will be eternally grateful. But why is it that sometimes Christians aren't that? Ex- he's so he's probably showing more excitement about tacos than many Christians have in their entire life about the things of God. Why is that? One part actually is waiting, is waiting in the line. Do you guys see how that works? You guys have your version of this too, whatever it is that you love, your thing. But you guys know what I'm talking about. When you talk about something you're passionate about, it's not weird. You just do it. You just talk about it. And you will by nature want to know what others might think about it and address misunderstandings or whatever. And I think it, it's, it's no different when we're talking about Jesus. I just don't think it's any different. And if you don't have any desire whatsoever to talk about Jesus, it might just be worth asking yourself, like, oh, maybe I'm not compelled by Jesus at all. Why are you a Christian then? Like, why are you following Jesus? You know what I'm saying? If it's not doing something to you, like, what's the point? It should really lead to some reflection and and go get a cup of tea and journal about that. I'm really quite serious. If you will naturally talk about something that fascinates you and that challenges you and that inspires you. And if Jesus, whatever the role that Jesus plays in the life of one of his followers, it is that. He is an endlessly fascinating, challenging, inspiring, loving person to follow. And if you are driven by his love, you will talk about it. And you will clarify misunderstandings. And are there misunderstandings about Jesus in our world? Holy cow, right? Right? And so that that I, and so how do you get how do you fish that out? I'm not a big fan of using the word holy and then connecting it to cow as kind of just slang. I'm not a big fan of that because holy is an attribute of God and God is holy. God calls us to be holy. So I don't like taking an attribute I mean, God is really the only thing that's holy. We're holy only because of an imputed righteousness. We're never holy in a practical way. So holiness is an attribute to God. So I don't like attributing that to a cow and and for a slang. I'm not I'm not a fan of that. Um, I know that maybe just just my own personal thing. You can tell me what you think. I just think it's getting close to in a sense. In a sense, I'm not saying it's directly taking God's name in vain, but you're really taking a, an attribute of God. And just assigning it to something that clearly you don't believe a cow is holy. Obviously, you don't believe a cow is without sin and completely set apart. So you're taking this really divine attribute and you're just assigning it. And it's just probably because you just were brought up saying that. I'm not a fan of it. It bothers me. You may not have an issue with it, but just something to think about, you know, especially being said from the pulpit, uh, you know, I don't I don't know. I, yeah. My own personal thing. I got I got challenged by it by a pastor when I was younger, and I and I always kind of like, man, I probably should stop doing that. And so I, I I took it to heart. You 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 can do whatever you want with it. And I I have found the first thing you shouldn't do is just tell people what you think about Jesus, right? The most like the most natural way to find out what people think about Jesus 
is to find out what they think about Jesus and just ask questions, right? I mean, who doesn't love to talk about what they think? You know, like everybody loves to tell you what they think. So just ask people questions, right? You don't have to like convert them. Like just find out what they think about Jesus and that will tell you loads. And here's what will happen seven times out of 10 is someone will start describing to you their understanding of Jesus or of Christianity and why they don't believe in it or why they've rejected in it. And then it will provide you an opportunity to also say, yeah, I don't believe in that Jesus either. Now, that's a, a, that's a very good point being made there is, is a lot of times people don't know like how to evangelize or, or what to do. And, and I – all the years of the military, that was always my go-to. Just ask them what they think. Like, like if – just letting them talk about what they – people love to talk about what they think. They loved – and just letting them talk, letting them – like you trying to, I mean, just ask different questions, not even like you're like, I'm, I, it, some people come across like in a very like, you know, I'm going to give them these, I'm going to, like they feel more focused on trying to preach to someone. And I think sometimes it's better to just try to get them, like if you can, if you can just find a way to ask questions, even where it's not directly like about Jesus or about God, but it's just maybe and more like in a philosophical way about bigger things, about purpose or life or right or wrong. And then you can just kind of, and then you just letting them tell you what they think, what they think, what they think, what they think. And many cases, not even really challenging it, letting them know. And in many cases, they may ask, they, not always, sometimes they'll ask you what you think because you've given them the opportunity to share their thoughts. You haven't cut them off. You haven't tried to correct them. And sometimes you just get into a good free flow exchange of ideas. And it can be really, a lot of times it's, I'm not saying it works every single time. It really depends on the individual. But I, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times in the military, just, you know, when, it, especially working overnight, maybe in the record section or wherever I may be in the hospital, just sitting there and all of a sudden two, three hours is just like, crazy conversations about things related to God and doctrine and theology. I mean, and, and, and it wasn't like in a preaching way. It was more like, so what do you think? Or what about this? And, and then we're like, well, what do you think? Well, you know, and then, and just that when it's a natural conversation, it, it seems to, to work better. But I, I think some people are good at that. I think some people, some Christians just get really nervous. Like if someone says something incorrect, they feel like they've just got to jump up and immediately correct 13. You don't have to correct it right then. Give them an opportunity to share because once they feel that freedom to share with you and to talk with you, they're more prone to come to you with theological or questions because you you seem more willing to engage in a conversation more than just preaching at them. Something so... There's a lot of good ideas here. I'm just, I don't know, I don't know how this is connected yet to the broader sermon, but let's see if we can at least get to that transition point and then we can save the rest for tomorrow. Actually, I think we agree on this point. Like the Jesus that you've rejected is not the Jesus that I follow. It's some, some other Jesus. You guys with me here? So, so, so where do you go from there? You love people, you respect them. If they ask you not to talk about Jesus all the time, like honor that, right? Honor it, like respect people. Don't be a weirdo about it. But pray and love people and ask them what they think. And over longevity of time, as you love and honor people and like the, 
the conversation will happen and opportunities to clarify. And so what I want to uh, just zero in on is, is one particular uh, misunderstanding or one particular distortion about Jesus uh, that, that I have found to be extremely common. I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, my... Now, see, this is where, you see where it kind of, now maybe in your mind, this all fits perfectly together. But see, this is where I feel like the, the, now, he's, now he's going into sermon number two. Sermon number one is about some of these principles about how Christians, we should just naturally want to talk about what we love and then how that can be practically applied in dealing with people and how to talk to them and not talk to them. That seems almost like its own separate study. Now he's going to, what he wants to flow into is how to deal with one specific misunderstanding or misrepresentation of Jesus. Like, it seems like that he could have just started the sermon about like, there are lots of misrepresentations in the world about Jesus. Here's some popular ones. Number one, number two, number three. Here's the, here's the kind of Jesus that we may see in a TV show, or here's the kind of Jesus we may see here. here. Now, today, I'm going to talk to you about one. It seems like that this is almost like it could be a separate sermon. Now, I'm not criticizing it. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing it out because I'm guilty of the same thing, right? Like I'll, I'll go 20 minutes and I'll be like, oh, what did I just do? I, I'm preaching two separate sermons and I hate when I go back and listen to myself. I'm like, man, man, what am I doing? I'm hitting myself in the head with a journal. I'm like, what am I doing? But it's so easy to do that because you, you come, I don't know about other people, but when I come walking to the pulpit, I'm like, I'm like a, a caged animal. I can't wait. I can't wait. I, and I usually got like a 50 things I want to talk about. And uh, same thing when I sit down in front of the microphone. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. And it's like sometimes like, man, I should have made that a separate episode. So it just feels like he could have just talked about this this concept that he – some of the concepts he just mentioned. And then a separate message would be we're going to deal with a misconception about Jesus. But all right, so this is really the transition part. Let's just see if we can get to at least the misconception. Neighbors, right, who are on, on my street in Portland and, and the people who work at Porkino, and, and I just talk to them about, find out what they think about Jesus. And, um, and the number one thing is the thing that I want to focus in on uh, for our, our time here today. Because I, I think one of the greatest gifts that we can offer people is, is clarifying who Jesus actually is by asking questions, inviting that conversation, and then offering our story and our uh, conviction about who, who Jesus And I think this is very important. I want to throw this in there. If you're a parent and you have kids, asking them to share what they think and feel and they feel safe in doing so is probably very important. Now, especially if they're raised in a Christian home and raised in the church, they're going to learn quickly, this is the right answer, this is the wrong answer. So when asked, I'm supposed to give the right answer. What you don't want them to give the right answer just because it's the right answer. You want them to be able to really be honest and be able to say, well, you know, to be honest, I don't really like this stuff. I don't really care about it. You want them to be able to, and you shouldn't go, ah, what are you doing? What are you saying? You've got to give them that freedom to be able to be, to be real. To, to be able to share what they really think, not what they're supposed to think. Because so much being raised in a Christian home, you just you just feel like this is, you just adopt what you're supposed to say. And in many cases, it never becomes real. And the real feelings, 
The real thoughts can never come out because they know it will be rejected and it will be met with some form of condemnation. I'm not saying we should praise wrong ideas. Sometimes, though, maybe it's just best not to say anything and just let them express what they feel so, so that we're treating them as a human being, an individual, and letting them be who they are. And then work work together, and because they probably already know your feelings, so in many cases you don't need to say anything. But they need to be able to express. They need to be able to express their doubt, maybe their dislike, maybe whatever. Even if you don't want to hear it. So again, there's a lot of a lot of great concepts here. But uh, uh, what's this misconception? Uh, let's see if we can at least get to that point. I know people listening may have wished we would have gotten a lot further into this, but. these are the things that are jumping out at me in the sermon that I think are really good. If you've already listened to the sermon, you may be like, no, I want you to get to that part. But these these are the things that are jumping out at me um, in my weird way of probably, I take everything apart, whatever I listen to or watch. You should should try watching a movie with me. A two-hour movie is a 17-hour marathon because I'm stopping and analyzing every second of it. But okay, I do the same thing with sermons. Here we go. Jesus says, Here's, if you start fishing around for people's view of Jesus and what they think you believe, um, odds are you're going you're gonna to come up with a story like this. And it's a story that's worth really clarifying what, if this is actually somebody really thinks. And the story is going to go something like this. They may not believe that, but they think that this is what you believe or something like that. So here we all are here on planet Earth. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful and also tragic place. And uh, here, here's uh, me and, and you and so on. And so here we are, uh, we're living our lives, and, uh, you know, sometimes great, sometimes really sad. And um, your friends think that you believe that, uh, you know, you're trying to do pretty good, sometimes you fail, uh, sometimes you do really poorly. You're kind of hoping to get more on this side of the line than that side of the line, but we're all kind of a mixed bag. But at the end of the game, uh, God's going to, you know, close the curtains on history, And based off of uh, how good you've been or how bad you've been, or on whether or not you happen to hold correct ideas and beliefs about who Jesus is, uh, your destiny is one of two places. So one of those places will um, be heaven, and the other uh, place, the bad place, will be be hell. And uh, heaven, if you kind of fish this out of people in, in the popular cultural imagination is, you know, these are both like maybe disembodied, non-physical places. This has to do with clouds and harps and singing in the presence of God. And this has to do with like some subterranean torture chamber or something like that, right? Where, where God is sadistically hurting people. Are you, I mean, you guys, you guys with me? This is what people think that followers of Jesus believe. The vast majority of people in the West think that this is what you believe. And some of you in the room might be thinking, yeah, that kind of is what I, what I believe. <laughs> and so, um, I'm... Okay, this is getting me... Okay, I don't know where he's going here. You see, you see, this seems completely now disjointed and disconnected from the all of that time, almost 13 minutes spent in his introduction, which again, I, I've done the same thing. So this is really the, the thesis here. That people have this idea that you, if you live one way and believe one way, you go to heaven. Or if you live the, a, a, a wrong way or believe the wrong way, you go to hell. And, and he just made everyone a very, you can hear the laughter. I don't know if you can hear, it seems like a little uncomfortable. Because some of you may, may 
This may be the way you you believe. And there's a little uncomfortable laughter because I think a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute here. If someone believes incorrectly, in other words, they don't believe Christ is the, the son of the living God, the, the eternal son of God who, who paid for our sins and we placed our faith in him, we would believe that there's judgment. So is he getting ready to completely deny that? I don't know. I'm going to try to take this a little further because I want to at least get us to where is he going here? He's only got 30 minutes. Well, the way typically a sermon works, the last three to four minutes, there's going to be a closing prayer. So he's probably got about 25 minutes here to get us to where he's going and to give us the the, the mis, he's kind of given us the misunderstanding. So I'm assuming he's going to take the remainder of his time to somehow clarify this misunderstanding. I just, uh, I love you and I care about you. <laughs> and and this, is, uh, this is wrong. It's wrong. The main problem with this story is the Bible. <laughs> And the other main problem with this story is the actual life and teachings of Jesus. This story is shot through with so many half or one quarter truths that it's just not helpful. We need to think, we need to read our Bibles again with a fresh set of eyes. And so, uh, here. Okay, we need to read our Bible with a fresh set of eyes. Now, that's, that, that's an interesting, fr- that's, that phraseology is at least, I put it this way, I'm at least now raising up some defenses here, like, okay, whoa, wait a minute, wait, it's like, okay, th- this is like, wait a minute, wait a minute, danger, 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 we may have danger in the camp, we have made, d- now, I, I'm not saying that that I should, because when you say a fresh set of eyes, you're seemingly to say, okay, this way of understanding, which seems to be either you go to heaven or hell, that seems to be where, I mean, He's going to have to really flesh out the misunderstanding here because right now it seems like he's basically saying if you believe some people go to heaven and some people go to hell, that's a misunderstanding. So we need a fresh set of eyes to look at our Bible. Okay. And that the problem with this concept, he's seemingly that he's laid out for us, is the Bible itself. Now he's, he's down to 29, well, probably about 24 minutes now that Somehow he's going to show us that the Bible, I, yeah, we're, we're going to let him go a little bit further here. I invite you to grab a Bible and just turn with me to um, the gospel according to Mark chapter one. And the way I want to frame this is just very briefly, uh, you know, over the next 20, 25 minutes, just think through a simple way for how to reframe the story of the gospel in a way that's true to the real Jesus. And in a way that I think once we get it and once we communicate it, it's compelling. It's a compelling story. Gospel according to Mark, page one. So we need a, we need a, a we need to understand the gospel in a way that is consistent with Jesus. All right. And that is compelling. All right. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned here, but okay. I got my Bible open to Mark. I should stop right here, but I can't stop right now. I can't stop. Now, I am going to end up cutting this off in a place where nobody's going to like, but that will make you have to tune in tomorrow. But that's okay. I, I, now I just want to go like all the way till midnight. Now, the, the, the problem is, 
he's he's giving us a supposed misunderstanding and he thinks he can clarify it in about 20 minutes. This is already majorly problematic. This clearly demonstrates he shouldn't have spent the 13 minutes talking about tacos. I think it's a brilliant illustration for a completely different talk because this seems to indicate, man, you need an entire hour minimum to even come close to trying to do what you hope to do. Or maybe it's not that big. Maybe I'm misunderstanding. But right now he seems... He's almost kind of given us kind of a very generic, a, a pretty, I think, common way of looking at it. He didn't really, he wasn't specific enough to know what's exactly presenting, but he's going to give us supposedly the, the, the right answer. So let's see where he goes here. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now let's just stop right there. What if there was a one page in the Bible where you could go to and say, what is this book about? It's about the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. What's a great candidate? Where should you go in the Bible? I mean, what do you want? The beginning of the good news about Jesus. And so we're thinking, okay, so heaven, earth, heaven, and hell, right? That's verse two, (laughs) right? And it's like, oh, nope, that's not verse two. What's verse two? Just like it was written in Isaiah the prophet, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. What? Why is the Bible saying what it's supposed to say right now? Are you with me here? So apparently, according to the Bible, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, links you up to a story that's already, you know, it's like jumping into a rushing a rushing river, right? We're jumping into a story that's already, you know, midstream and has all this momentum already. And so apparently the good news about Jesus involves something that the prophet Isaiah said, that Israel's story after they were redeemed from slavery in Egypt and then brought into the promised land, and they did a really bad job of that one, and so then they got kicked out of the land into exile in Babylon. And the the prophet Isaiah says on the other side of their exile in Babylon... God's going to return to his people personally. He's going to come on this highway in the desert, and he's going to send a messenger ahead of him. That's the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. Is this simple? It's not simple. In one sense, right? The Bible's not simple, right? Once you get the basic storyline, it's actually not that hard to get. But the Bible just refuses to be domesticated and our attempts to boil it down to half-truths and summaries. And this is one of those places where we have to humble ourselves and say, like, maybe, maybe we've gotten this wrong and maybe I need to come back and rediscover what the Bible is actually trying to tell me. And it's trying to tell me that Jesus comes as the culmination of Israel's story and as the fulfillment of a promise that the God of Israel said that he would come to visit and rescue his people. Go down to verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, that's um, John who? John the Baptist, right? The guy, the crazy guy in the desert who ate beehives and insects and so on, that guy. John the Baptist was put in prison. So Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Here, okay, here we go. If I ever wanted to hear what the gospel is from the mouth of Jesus, this is a great candidate right here. Verse 15. And what is it? The time has come, 
Jesus said, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now just stop and look at verse 15. So what is the good news? Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. So apparently the good news is something that he just said. And what is it? Verse 15. What's the good news? The time has come. The time has come and something's here. And that something coming here is the good news. And what is that something that has come here? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So apparently in Jesus' mind, the story of the Bible and who he is and what he's here to do and the gospel is about, not about us going somewhere, it's about God coming here. You with me here? It's about something that God is doing here that according to Jesus is the good news. There's multiple things that are wrong with this story. First of all, this is a me-centered story. It's about me and what I'm doing, good or bad, and then God just is a, you know, the one who assigns me a role right here at the end of the story. That's not the gospel. It's certainly not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is about God <laughs> and what God is doing in our world. This is a story that focuses on me and my behavior and whether I'm good or bad enough or do, do or don't know the right information about Jesus or something. That's not the gospel, and that's certainly not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is about not... My behavior as the focus is about God's activity and God's purposes and what God is doing in our world through Jesus that is good news for our world. You guys with me here? And what is that? And it's that God's kingdom, God's reign and his rule over our world has arrived in the person of Jesus, which means that Jesus is here to address some kind of problem and he's going to resolve this problem through what he does in the next, you know, pages that you're going to read in the Gospel of Mark. And that is the good news. And it's a different story than this one right here. So the kingdom of God, um, you can read about Jesus talks all the time about the kingdom of God. Uh, if you read the Gospel according to Matthew that comes right uh, b before Mark, um, Jesus will call it the kingdom of God or also sometimes what? The kingdom of heaven. He kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus used both terms. And... The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is not somewhere that you go after you die. It's something that has arrived in Jesus. Now, I'm going to um, draw something a little more. But first, I just, there's a, a simpler way to do this. Um, a, friend, a friend and I in Portland made uh, a video to try and help kind of explore and un unpack this. Do you want to see it? Yeah. Great. So let's watch that. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die. But this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart 
and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about 
as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay. We're going to have to stop right there. Whoa. I, there's a lot there that, that sounds good that, but he, I mean, now he's got less than, he's got about 14 minutes. We, uh, I can't make any judgments here because at, like, there's some things here. It's like, it, it, it's, it's at times makes me very nervous. Because he seems to throw this idea that, you know, well, you either go to heaven or hell. It's like God comes to be with us. Okay, God comes to be with us. He brings his kingdom here. Okay, I understand the imagery. Okay, there's a lot of interesting concepts here. But the bottom line is, I mean, obviously, this has to be a, a major issue. He's acknowledged their sin. He acknowledged Jesus dies to save people from their sin. Well, what happens if someone isn't saved? That's what we, because he seemed to, he seems to reject the idea that you go to heaven or hell. So is this getting ready to be a complete rejection of hell? I'm not saying that it is. I'm not saying that it isn't, but it definitely leaves us. We'll, we'll have to see. We'll just have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. So we are, um, let's see here. I got to, I got to write this down. We are at 16 minutes and 48 seconds left to go. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll back it up tomorrow and we'll just push right through. Um, again, the, the first part of the sermon now seems completely disjointed and disconnected with the second part. The first part was, oh, this could be, this could go in an interesting direction. This part, he definitely needs more time with, it seems, but maybe, maybe it's just gonna, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do at the end. It just seems like, is he getting ready to teach some form of universalism? All right. Uh, okay. So, so someone said they're curious to see my uh, take on the end of this. I just think to do it justice, I need to wait till tomorrow because we're already at an hour and 18 minutes. So we will, that got us there and we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm fa- I, I want to keep listening, but I'm not going to listen till tomorrow. I'm not going to listen till tomorrow because I want to just know which direction he's going to go, but we'll stop right there. All right. Thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. I'm a little nervous because if this person is connected with the Bible project, which that's been used all over the place, if this is going in some horrible direction, that would be like, then then we're going to have to know exactly this man's connection with that 
program that 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 would raise lots of theological questions. I'm not in any way going to call anything into question right now. I'm just saying I'm just a little nervous because he he kind of said, "Hey, here's this idea that here's us, then we die, we go to heaven, we go to hell." And he keeps saying based off what you believe or don't believe, right? Uh, oh, okay, so someone just says he basically is the Bible Project. Okay, I, his voice sounds very familiar because I've watched gobs of videos from the Bible Project. So, um, all right, well then that this would be, wow, this could be. We may just stumbled upon a, a really bad thing, at which I would hate to have to then try to call this out. But we'll see. I'm just going to wait and see. I'm not going to try to draw any judge any conclusions. He just makes me nervous because he's like, you know heaven or hell. And, you know, you go there because you do the bad thing or you don't do the, or you do the right thing or you do the bad thing. But then he keeps throwing in, you know, you don't, you don't believe the right way. (laughs) Wait a minute. Are you, are you saying people don't go to hell for believing the wrong way? Like that's where I'm getting nervous, but we'll see. Maybe he's going to clean this up, but but, yeah, there, there we go. We're, we're going to stop right there. And, uh, We'll stop right there. Again, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Be be looking for the conclusion, the dramatic conclusion tomorrow. And we're going to leave it as a cliffhanger. What what does this guy actually believe in? What is the fresh eyes we need to see this with? He's not done a lot with the Bible to prove anything. (laughs) He's just quoted a couple of verses, and he's not even bothered to put these in any context to the rest of the Bible. Well, it talks about the good news is the kingdom has come. Okay, um... Yeah, I think I think I think maybe we need to I think we may need a couple of more verses than two or three verses out of the Gospel of Mark, but but we'll see. We'll see what he does here. All right, we'll stop right there. Thanks for listening. God bless.